Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you all. Thank you so much for being here. In week two of Be Rich, we kicked off last weekend, which is really a brand new campaign church-wide. It's really a celebration of generosity that we are looking to do for our community. At a time when people are talking all about all the problems in the world, we have decided, you know what? We're going to be a part of the solution. We're going to be a part of helping make a real difference in our city. And there's three components to be rich. There's the give component we talked about last week, the serve component we'll talk about today, and the love component we'll talk about next week. And really, the whole point of this entire campaign is to communicate to our our community a, a very simple message, that all people matter to God, whether God matters to them or not. You know why? Because that's the way Jesus loved people. That's the way he showed love to people. Indiscriminate, whether whether they uh, loved him or not, whether they blessed him or not, whether they were sort of on his team or not, he loved and blessed them. And we're going to look at a teaching today that will really help us to understand this even more clearly today. But really this title, Be Rich, was taken from something that Paul taught in the New Testament. He was actually writing a letter to his protege, Timothy, who was pastoring this church in Ephesus. There's these two letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, good name for them, right? They're letters from Paul to Timothy. They're called the pastoral epistles. They were instructional letters to help this young pastor to learn how to lead this congregation. And in the middle of the first uh, letter, actually towards the end of it, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he says this, that's really important to do for people who have resources, whether they realize they have resources or not. This is what he said. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, let's pause there for a second. Last week we talked about the fact that in this present world, in our global economy, that if you make a combined household income of $32,500 or more, you're in the 1% club. Congratulations. You are the richest 1% of the world. We don't think that because we don't feel rich because we're surrounded by so many rich people in this, in this country, and we forget that. And even if you make below that amount, I bet you're still way in the upper half, way in the upper half of the richest people in the world. If you ever want to check that out, look at globalrichlist.com. You can find out exactly where you fall. Most of us are probably in a top percentage of the top 1%. It's amazing how blessed we are. And what we're taught over and over through the teaching of Jesus and those who were leaders in that first century church was that that type of resource in our life comes with responsibility. And here's what he says. Here's what I want you to teach those people who fall in that upper category of wealthier people. Here's what I want, to, I want you to teach them. He says, teach them to do good, to, let's say it together, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Wow, isn't that great counsel? Isn't that great wisdom? What if everybody today, everybody, who falls in that upper category, decided uh, we're going to be rich in good deeds. We're going to start being more generous and willing to share. That is just an excellent way to live, isn't it? 
it would probably solve an enormous amount of problems in our world. And before we start pointing fingers at other people, he wants us to begin with us, to begin with our own life and saying, what does that look like for Will Lewis? What does that look like for you to begin to do that, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share? What, is, what should that look like for me? And it's interesting that when Jesus began to teach these kinds of things that, that was later replicated and taught you know, uh, by Paul and James and others that we're going to look at the teachings of, that in, in that relay of teaching, it was during a time where it couldn't have been the more of the antithesis of that type of a mentality in society. Here's what I mean by it. That Jesus enters into a world where people were literally treated like property. They were literally treated like property because there were slaves all over the place. It was a part of society back then. And we forget this sometimes, but this idea of people not owning people is a relatively new concept in the history of humanity. But Jesus was the first to teach this idea, revolutionary, it changed the world, it's continuing to change the world right down to this moment of me speaking to you, that everybody matters to God. Everybody matters to God. Well, we don't think about that being revolutionary anymore. We think, well, that's just elementary, that everybody should matter, and we should treat people like they matter. No, you don't understand, and I don't understand. We forget that in the first century, that was not an accepted cultural value, that, that people owning people and slavery was so deeply entrenched in society, that all of us, if we lived back then, we would just assume that if we lost our job, lost our house, lost our way to make a living, we probably would become someone's slave. We would become someone's property. That's just an assumption that everybody would have. It was a part of the world back then. And it's important to kind of shift your mind back into that mentality because that is the world in which Jesus teaches what we're about to look at today, which makes it even more revolutionary than we can possibly imagine for what he was about to say. And it was, it was during a time where in the Greco-Roman world, the gods that those people worshipped, not the God of, uh, of you know, Israel, not the God of the Heavenly Father of Jesus Christ, but the gods, plural, of the Greco-Roman world, they did not love people, human beings. They did not even really care for people. Therefore, it was easy for them to say, people don't really have intrinsic value or worth. And then it's really easy to begin to back into a philosophy that says, it's okay to own slaves. It's okay to own people. It's okay to devalue people and say, some are more valuable than other people. And you can treat them differently because they're really just more important than other people. And that's how we ought to behave. And it was so deeply entrenched that even within the slave society, there was a pecking order. There was a hierarchy. That the slaves that worked in the house were more prestigious than those who worked in the field, which were more prestigious than those who worked in the salt mines. And they saw it that way. Everybody saw it that way. And it was in those days that Jesus began his public ministry that Rome had created a society that devalued human beings by and large unless you had something great to offer. You had some status. You had some wealth or, or some important um, uh, skill or ability that you could offer society. 
And it wasn't just Rome that was doing this, but also the Jews were doing it to themselves. In Jesus' community, the Jewish religious leaders of his day many times would use um, Old Testament teaching, wrongly I might add, to try to suppress and keep people down. The reason they did this is because they had been given by Rome a very important high status within the Roman Empire to keep the masses under control. And as long as they could keep the people under control, they could keep their power. But the moment people began to rise up and think they were something and they could become something, then, then they had trouble and they were being challenged. So they would use the Old Testament to say, you are nothing but a bunch of sinners. You're nothing but a bunch of Samaritans, shepherds. You're nothing but fishers. You're nothing but women and children. And it sounds horrible to say today, but they would say, because of these things, you do not have as much value. And it was a wrong application of Old Testament. If you were lame, you were sick, you had less value. You weren't even allowed to live around the people of real value. And along uh, in this time, it was taught and it was accepted that it was a time when compassion was considered weakness. You don't show compassion. You take everything you can get. And what was really valued was strength and wealth and a good name and a good family. And that was, that was what was looked at. And so here Jesus comes in, begins his ministry at a time, and he taught that people have dignity and that people matter. It was revolutionary, people. It was crazy. People were shocked. They were stunned when they heard the words that Jesus taught. No rabbi, no person, no religious leader had ever taught these things. Jesus taught that compassion not only was not weakness, but it was a sign of strength that it reflected the heart of Almighty God when we did those kinds of things. He was the first to really explain that there's a difference between inherent value and ascribed value. Let me explain the difference. The ascribed value says that you only have wealth or, or you only have value as a human being because we societally, we collectively have decided that you are wealthy, you're smart, you're educated, you have a high status in society, you become very important, you run a great organization, you whatever, we ascribe value to people like that, that he or she deserves the accolade, the award, we need to recognize them, we need to tell them how great they are, that is ascribed value. Jesus says, nope, that's not how people get their value. He says it is inherent value. In other words, you're born with it. Because you are made in the image of Almighty God. That you have been created with value. That you were made, and I don't care your socioeconomic level. It doesn't matter if you're male or you're female. You're rich or you're poor. If you're educated or you're not. It doesn't matter. If you're old or you're young, it it. It is value from God. You see, we forget this sometimes, and I just want to remind you, this whole idea of people deserving civil rights in the world is awesome, and it is very new in terms of world history. It came from the teaching of Jesus. It is uniquely Christian in its origin. Christ was the one who taught this. This is why we say people ought to have rights and people ought to be treated with respect. Why? Because they have inherent value. And when we move away from that bedrock, watch, people will stop 
having inherent value. People will stop be treated with value. And the more we embrace that, the more people should be loved and treated the way Jesus loved and treated people. It's beautiful. So Jesus begins to teach this in a time when it couldn't have been more of a revolutionary thought. He says these words, and they were stunned and shocked when they heard them. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 42, in the middle of this great Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was teaching. We're going to break into a part where he's talking specifically about how we treat those people who are hard to love, that are difficult to know what to do with. Okay, Starting with verse 42, here's what he says. He says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And of course, our first thought is, but Jesus, what if they're not going to return the thing that we loan to them? What if they're going to take advantage of us? Oh my gosh, Jesus, come on, you can't just do that. Jesus would say, oh, they're going to take advantage of you? Maybe they won't return it? Perfect. No, seriously, perfect. I'll explain it more in just a minute. We'll get into it in a second. Verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the going teaching. That was a teaching of many uh, rabbis back then. Out of a philosophical approach of the day, especially among the Jews. To love your neighbor, hate your enemy. He says, but I tell you something radical. I want you to read the highlighted words with me. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you wait a minute, you want us to to love our enemies and pray for the ones who persecute us? Yes. Jesus, I want to just remind you, the beginning of the sermon, he was saying, let me show you what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven, to be a follower of me, a child of God. This is what it looks like. This is how it should emanate, should shine forth from your life. This is what it looks like. This is how you treat people, right? And and, and, and our, our question is like, who does that anymore. I mean, even among the Christian community, who really does that? Exactly, Jesus would say. I want you to do this. But the question is that we ought to all ask ourselves, do I really do that? I mean, I mean, really honestly, do we really do that? Parents, do your kids catch you doing this for people who are giving you a hard time at work, in the community, among your friends, at church, wherever? students in here, whether you're a high school student, college student, doesn't matter. When you're going through a hard time, do you love your teacher, your instructor, your professor? Do you pray for them? The person that you work for, your work environment. Many of our work environment, they can be very stressful. They can be very difficult. And sometimes this can be pinpointed at a particular individual that's made it really hard on you. That in a sense, maybe persecuting you, singling you out even at times. Do you show them love? Do you pray for them? Sometimes it happens even at home. This needs to begin in the home. Sometimes it's even with our spouse. You know what's interesting? Jesus told us to love our neighbor and our enemy, and sometimes our spouse is both. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And we need to love them. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when we need to pray for them, we need to love them. Some of you are about to be around some family members that, woo, it is a challenge. Week after next is Thanksgiving, just in case you forgot, right? You're going to have to be in the room with them. Some of you need to start praying right now, right? (laughs) Some of you need to think about what that's going to be like and how can I say kind and loving things 
And when the conversation starts taking a turn, maybe you need to excuse yourself and go do something else, right? And don't let it go where it's gone before. What does that need to look like for you and I? It's so important. Jesus is saying, it's so important for you to do this. Why? He told us in the next verse, verse 45, he says, that you may be, what, taken advantage of? No, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, that you might look like and reflect the type of heart that your Father in heaven has. I want you to look like that. I want you to feel like that. I want you to show that kind of compassion to other people. It's possible. I know it feels impossible, but it is absolutely possible. What is impossible for men and women is possible with God. And he goes on to give us a beautiful illustration. He says, let me show you. God does this all the time. In, in an agricultural world and society that he was speaking into, this was super important. He says, he, he, speak, he talking about the Father in heaven, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you've ever done any kind of farming, agricultural work, industry at all, you know we're always at the mercy of the weather, that God either brings rain or sunshine or there's a large part of it. You're at... And so he's saying, God blesses those that love him and those that don't. Those that bless him back and those who don't. He's going to bless, he's going to love those kinds of people. And he says, and I want you to exercise the same kind of indiscriminate love to other people, whether they love you or not. In verse 46, he goes on to say this, if you love only those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And Jesus now picks a segment of society that was the most hated. This is really interesting. The, the tax collectors were seen as sort of like um, legalized criminals, con men. I mean, they would collect taxes for Rome, but they could surtax and, and charge up the top as much as they wanted. And they got crazy wealthy off of this this uh, you know, career choice for their life. But they were hated by their own fellow Jews. They weren't welcome in the synagogue. And many times in the New Testament, when you hear the word sinners used, it was always paired with tax collectors, the tax collectors and the sinners. Almost like sinners was an upgrade to tax collector. So like some of the sinners would say, don't call me a tax collector, I'm not that bad. You know, like, I'm just a sinner. Again, so it was... This was the idea that Jesus was pulling a segment of society almost like, think about the worst segment of society, the worst group of people that we all live around. And he says, isn't it true that those people even do for their own? Don't they return the faith? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll do for you, you do for me. He's saying, and if you only do for those who can do for you, are you any better than that? You're not doing any better than that. And he says, and I'll go you even one better. Verse 47, he says, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. The pagans were those who had no faith in God at all, had no relationship with God at all. He says, the people who have no relationship, no connection, no faith in me at all, they do this. Isn't it true that maybe you need to take it a step further? This is not reflecting my heart. In other words, here's what Jesus is teaching. He says, I want you to get noticed for treating people well, even those who don't treat you well. I want you to love, to bless, and to serve people that you will get nothing in return for loving, blessing, and serving them. 
It won't, there's nothing in it for you. You're just doing it simply because it reflects the heart of God. That's why I want you to do it. I want you to get out there and show forth the love of God. And earlier in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men and women, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There is a connection between getting noticed for treating people well and people's understanding this is not natural, this is not normal, this is divine, this is supernatural. What I'm seeing in your life, clearly you're doing this for God. This is God doing this through you. It's almost like Jesus says they'll begin to connect the dots that this is me being seen through you, shining forth that light. Make sure you're living like this. And then Jesus gives us this beautiful revelation here right at the end of the chapter, verse 48. He says it this way. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, this is an interesting thing. This word perfect or perfection is always so intimidating. It is not here Jesus talking about making no mistakes with your life. He's not even talking about being sinless. He's talking about, let me give you a new definition of perfection. Here's how Jesus is defining it. He's saying perfection is doing good for those who either cannot or will not do good for you. Do good for others, to bless others who either cannot, they can't, or they won't do it for you. They cannot or will not bless you back. They're not going to serve you. Either they can't, they're just, they're impoverished, they're incapable, they're they're in a place where they just cannot return the favor. And he says, and in those moments, you want to look like God, you really want to emulate God, you really want God to use your life, you are never more like God than when you love people who cannot love you back or will not love you back. It's like Jesus is saying, oh, wait, 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 hold it right there, right there. Let me just take a picture of that. That's perfect. That's perfect. Do that again. Do that again. That was amazing. Serve people like that. Love people like that. Go out of your way to help people who either can't or won't. Do it back to you. They can't reciprocate it. Will you do that? Because when you do that, you have never reflected more God-likeness than that moment. And God-likeness is really what godliness is all about. It's reflecting the heart, the nature, the love, compassion of our Father in heaven. And he's saying, you want to really be a follower. This is where it's at, man. This is how you live. This is how you do it. And Jesus was a master at this. He did it over and over and over and over. What's what's really extraordinary is that as you read back through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament that are really accounts of the words and works of Jesus, If you look at them through the lens of Jesus doing this, like look for places where Jesus was raising people up, which society says you have no dignity, no worth, we have ascribed nothing to you, and Jesus says, nope, that's wrong, I'm going to dust you off, I'm going to put you back up here where you belong, and I'm going to show you you are worth something, and you are loved, and that you have inherent worth, inherent value, because your Father in heaven created you in his image. And he did this over and over. The Samaritan woman at the well. Here's a woman who was caught up in a very sinful lifestyle at a time when no Jewish man would speak 
to a woman in public, let alone a rabbi, a teacher among the Jews, which is what Jesus was, speak to a Samaritan woman that was hated by the Jews. And here he was in a public place in the middle of the day, talking to this woman, giving worth to her, showing her that God has a place for you. He loves you. God sees you. He's forgiven you. And she goes back and invites the entire town a town that she was ashamed to raise her face in, invited them all out to hear Jesus. And then another story where we see where a Roman centurion um, sends word to Jesus to say, would you come and heal not me, but my servant, like the lowest rung on the socioeconomic level, to which Jesus or many rabbis might say, well, even if I had the power of healing, I wouldn't heal your servant. Give me somebody important to heal. I mean, come on, I'm not going to waste my, my talent and my skills on somebody that doesn't really matter. Jesus never blinked an eye. He says, of course I'll heal your servant. Your servant is healed. He didn't even have to go to the house. He just healed him from way far away. It was amazing. He did it, showing great value that he loved them. And there was another time where he uh, runs into um, a tax collector, you remember the, the little tax collector, Zacchaeus, a wee little man was he. You remember that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You remember that song? Some of you may, okay, nobody remembers it. Okay, just me. <laughs> and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down for him. I'm going to your house today. I'm going to have dinner with you tonight. And he did. This hated man among the Jews, and he goes and has dinner with him. And he gives him an opportunity to repent. And we're told that Zacchaeus not only repents, but he gives back four times the money to everybody he had ever ripped off in his life. Whoa. What if people actually started doing that today? Wouldn't that be amazing? That's incredible. And he completely reinstated and gave this guy inherent worth and reminded him of it that he had forgotten. Another tax collector by the name of Matthew, who wrote this gospel later that we're reading from today, Matthew was, uh, had a conversation with Jesus, and he invites him to his house for dinner. Jesus instigates a party. There's a house party where all his notorious sinner friends and tax collector friends all show up, and Jesus catches flack for it from the Pharisees. How dare he? Doesn't he know he's consorting with all those sinners over there? And Jesus loved it. He was there with them, and they loved being with him. There were times that he would let little children Again, some of the lowest, they had no power, they had no leverage, they had no clout, they had no status in society, and he'd be right in the middle of a teaching, and he would kneel down, and he says, don't hinder the little children from coming to me. He'd come, bring them, sit them right on his lap. He'd hug them, he'd touch them, he'd bless them. Nobody, I'm talking nobody did that back then. Everybody has worth. He was communicating it over and over. One day, he was actually at another Pharisee's house having dinner, and this woman comes crawling in. We're told she was a sinful woman, but a sinful lifestyle before this. And she weeps on his feet, and she anoints his feet with expensive oil, and there were critics in the room. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you today. Again, giving value to people everywhere he, he went. And as if all of these stories weren't enough, then Jesus gives away his physical life on a Roman cross, dies to redeem and to forgive and to buy back sinners like us. 
that he gives value. He shows us. Don't wait for it to be ascribed by this world. You have inherent value from your father. Imago Dei. You've been made in the image of Almighty God. Don't you forget it. It's so important. And begin to treat others with the same dignity, sanctity, love, value, and respect. And it will be a much better world that you live in. And it starts with us, ladies and gentlemen. It starts with you and I beginning to say, yes, God, use me. Help me to make a difference. And we should become famous for how well we treat people. You know why? Because Jesus was. He was famous for how well he treated people. And he wants that fame, that notoriety, that people noticing us to be a shining back onto God. The glory goes all back to him, that they may praise and to worship and glorify your Father in heaven. So today what I want to do, I want to give you a practical next step. How do we begin to put this into practice, Pastor Will? I want to show you right now that you can begin to serve. I want to make that we, that's really what the series is all about. How do you do this easy? How do you make an easy step that you know will actually make a difference in the world? This is what we want to do. First, what I'd like to do is ask everybody to get out their cell phones right now. Normally, you don't do that in church, but right now, please do that. Everybody get out your cell phones. This is not going to commit you to anything. This is just going to get you the information that you need to be able to make a, an informed decision, okay? So I'd like you to get out your phones, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word "be rich," all one word, to 97000, 97,000. Text "be rich" to 97,000. Here's what we're going to do. In 10 minutes, we are going to send you a link to your phone that will let you come back to our website. It will be a, web, a connection back to our website to this page right here. So where you can click on Serve. You'd like to serve, and it will take you to this page right here. And we have over 100 different options of different time slots, places, different jobs that you can help with, and different nonprofits that we have vetted, we've interviewed, we've talked to them. They're doing amazing work in our community, and you can come alongside and feel good about what you're about to be a part of. And so we want to give you opportunities. If by some chance, you look at the entire page and you go, oh my gosh, there's nothing that works with my schedule. I want you to go back to the previous page. Instead of clicking on serve, um, what I'd like you to do, you can either pick one of these options, Twin City Shelter or the Salvation Army, and it'll take you to their page, and there's lots of volunteer opportunities on their page. You can pick one of those. If neither one of those works, then you can just volunteer on your own anywhere in the community, helping people. And if you would just log your hours right here and just say, hey, I just spent an hour helping out somebody. I was blessing them. I, I served at my kid's school. I helped here. I helped there. Just making a difference somewhere. We would love to be able to log and keep track of, just like we're trying to keep track of every dollar we give through Be Rich. We're giving all of that away. We want to log all of our hours as well so we can kind of keep a, an eye on how much were we able to do, how much were we able to invest in our community. It would be great to share that with you all. So if you you would, just log your hours there, and you can do it literally anywhere. We've provided a bunch of opportunities, but you're welcome to use your own um, as you see fit. And I just want to share this with you as we close today. The first century church that God used to, to change the world in such a dramatic way had a no-strings-attached approach to generosity. This is what they were known for. Wouldn't it be something wouldn't it be amazing if the 21st century church also had that same reputation? A no-strings-attached approach to generosity. 
Here's what I'm asking you to do for me today. Let's make sure that Brazos Fellowship is known for it. Let's make sure that you and me, our group, uh, this place right here, this church is known for no strings attached generosity of making a difference in this community because people matter to God, whether God matters to them or not. And it's amazing to see how when people experience that kind of love of God, how it tends to turn people's heart back to God. And we have seen over and over life change stories that have happened by simple acts of love and kindness and service and selflessness that God uses to transform somebody's eternal destiny. And you can be a part of that. And right now today, I'd like to ask you if you would pray with me a simple prayer, just saying, Lord, I want to be like you by doing good for those who cannot or will not do good for me. Use me to love those you love. And right now, I'd like to ask you if you would just pray with me that God would use you in this way. And for those of you who have never asked Christ into your life, you've never begun a relationship with God, I want to give you an opportunity right here, right now, in this prayer time to ask Christ into your life, to forgive your sin, and to be the Lord and leader of your life from this moment forward. And the, the Bible tells us that all of heaven will celebrate over that turning of a heart and that God welcomes all who, who pray and claim him as Lord. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.